This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Hello, and welcome to the Women in a Day podcast. Today, we are really excited because we have a very special guest here. We have Shukri Abdi, who is joining us from L.A. Portia, can you please tell us about Shukri? Sure. Shukri Abdi is an L.A.-based TV producer, performer, and writer originally from Potomac, Maryland. Upon graduating from Wellesley College, Ms. Abdi moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, where she spent a couple years teaching and modeling. According to nobody but Shukri, she's still a local celebrity in Guadalajara, mainly known for demanding a meat quesadilla before a lingerie runway show. We'll have to ask her about that a little bit later. Yes. After returning to the U.S., Shukri started a successful career as a TV producer of several game shows she's not being paid to advertise here. After burning out on unscripted television, Shukri studied Chinese, French, and golf until deciding to sink her savings into comedy classes. A graduate of the I.O. West and Upright Citizens Brigade, UCB, programs, Shukri can be seen performing musical improv with her UCB team, The Pickup as well as sketch comedy on UCB's Mod Night with the Audacity. In 2016, IOS anointed Shukri their Student of the Year. In the fall of 2017, Shukri was given the opportunity to merge her background in producing with her passion for comedy as supervising producer and head writer of the comedic game show Black Card Revoked, currently airing on BET. Welcome, Shukri. Hey, Shukri. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Shukri. So we're going to kind of go chronologically. Okay. But before that, we want to ask our first question that we ask of all of our guests, and that is, what is your favorite part of your day? Um, I would say my favorite part of the day is the morning, um, and that's because I really enjoy taking time for myself in the mornings. It's very quiet. A lot of times the day gets away from me in some way, or I lose it to other obligations, whether it's practices, rehearsals, classes, meetings, gigs, etc. It sometimes feels overwhelming. And since I don't traditionally have weekends free, because I don't have a, a traditional nine to five job when I'm not working on a show, I really need to use those mornings uh, to recharge. It sounds like in the work that you do, you don't have a lot of flexibility over your own schedule that you kind of have to be working when work is available and go with the flow in that regard. Is that really difficult for you? Um, as a person who's a reformed control freak, uh, <laughs> I would say it was in the beginning, but this is what I wanted, right? Like I wanted to be able to go from, I used to be a TV producer and that was my main identity. That was my main bread and butter. And as I've transition to being a working performer or, or, or writer, that's the artist's life. So I, I, I have to, I have to be flexible, which can be challenging because it, the challenge of being a, a freelance TV producer before was that I couldn't schedule my life super far in advance because I didn't know if I'd be on a, on a gig or anything like that. So I, I was hoping that in transitioning, I would have a little bit more stability, but but I don't, but at least I'm happier in doing what I'm doing. So yeah, there, there are sacrifices, and that definitely reflects in in my relationships. That, that becomes 
an obstacle sometimes with significant others or, or or family members just because they want information. They want to know when they can see me and spend time. And it's just really hard to give them a straight answer. Was your family always really supportive of you becoming an entertainer? Uh, yeah. In junior high, my mother knew that I wanted to be a singer. (laughs) So a really quick story is that my mom and my, my mom, my sister and I, we got in the car, went to this uh, audition at the local community college, Montgomery, Montgomery college has, I don't know if they still do, but they had a summer dinner theater. And my mom took my sister to audition and my sister, when we got there, she was like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, and I totally respect her for that because uh, I'll tell you guys a little secret. Part of the reason why I didn't perform for a while is because of stage fright that I've had to power through. But my sister was like, I can't. And my mom, my mom said, and she turned around and looked at me and said, well, I didn't come on out here just to not have someone audition. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I turned around too, like, I don't know who she's talking to. Uh, how old were you at, when this happened? I was, I believe, 13. Wow. And she was like, all right, well, uh, get on out there. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> say what now? And she was like, no, you're going to get out there and audition. And I'm like, I don't want to. And she's like, but you're going to. And I think wow. it was just thing that that was like, it was just understood that Okie dokie, like growing up, my sister and I, we did tap jazz ballet. Uh, I would sing around the house. I would put on these different shows for company that would come over. My dad is Somali. He's from Ethiopia, but he's Somali. And I mean, I'd be like, and now here's my impression of a so- of an old lady Somali woman. <laughs> Some of my humor, guys. Not allowed to get on stage these days. It's a little offensive. But I was like, <laughs> that's really funny. These- shows and they would just be like oh your daughter is crazy oh ha 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 and like and it would be fun and so I think my mom was just like stop fooling everyone get on out there this is what you're Um, supposed to be doing just go do it already yeah that's what you're supposed to be doing stop torturing Um, us exactly and I think I had done it on other levels too like okay at the school at school plays or productions and we we all knew that I had stage fright but I would usually just power through it um, and so I got out there, I landed a, like a principal dancing role and I did it for a summer. And I remember turning 14 while I was there again. It, it was just, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. And so did my family think that I was going to be a performer? Yes. And I think because of the stage fright and because of me dragging my heels and because of me having this first career of producing, I think they were so, re- I think so many people in my, in my life were just relieved that I finally stopped fooling myself and just finally was like, okay, I'm going to start performing now and this is what it is and whether I'm terrified or not, this is what I think I was put on this earth to do and what a sad life it'll be if, if, I, if I don't pursue this. Did you major in something in college that's related? Um, no. So when I went to Wellesley, I, was, I, was, I had a hard time adjusting when I first got there. And, um, and in high school, I, I sang, I danced, I was in all these different performance groups. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not having a great time here and I'm not having, I'm not adjusting well. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to deny this community my talents. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever well, think so about then, leaving? I, I did. I thought about leaving. Um, I got like waitlisted at different places. What? But I, Shukri. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's really good that I. Where did. were you, Portia, when all this was going we on? Were you, friends were su- then. <laughs> you weren't supporting yeah. your friend. I, I mean, 
what I ended up happening is like I had to I had to double down I had to do a little bit of shifting with friends because I loved my friends but I think some of us what we had in common was that we weren't adjusting well and I was like okay instead of oh that's interesting lumping myself with people who are like-minded and that they are not happy here <laughs> I need to find people who are enjoying themselves who have found a way to balance the academics the downtime the partying the the dating like and and when I did that I my experience completely turned around uh, and then and then when I graduated I was sitting there crying being like oh this reminds me of Brooks from Shawshank Redemption don't make me go into a society I just don't understand anymore I was like I've been surrounded by women for eight years please don't make me do it please it was a it was a real a real shift how'd you get to Guadalajara my mom my mom passed away when I was 15 and that influenced a lot of things one of which was what I majored in. And so part of that major was, hey, I'm going to study abroad. The reason why she influenced my major was because she worked at the Inter-American Development Bank um, where people speak Spanish. So she wanted her kids to speak Spanish, so she put us in classes at very young ages. And so I was like, okay, you know what, I'm I'm going to travel abroad. My sister went to Costa Rica, so I'm going to go abroad too. And the program that was open was Oaxaca, Mexico. And so I did that program loved it felt so different in my skin like being a black woman in boston was very challenging for me just because boston felt different from any experience that i had had up until that point and that it felt like it was actively not happy to see me or my company. <laughs> i don't know like it just, i just felt i felt like it was a very closed-minded ignorant city and then coming from a women's college and landing on someone's campus and they're like the guys are like oh you here to you hear the bone? And it's like, <laughs> um, I'm actually just here to, to go to a party, uh, to enjoy myself. So it, just, it felt like it was there just... A, a I'm here to take a piece. math class at MIT. Yeah, I'm here to take a math class, a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> not here to bone. Not here to bone! Maybe later, but not right now. <laughs> Probably more than likely. But you know what? I just want to learn. So yeah, so it felt very uncomfortable to be in Boston for me. And and while I know that there are plenty of black people who have gone to Mexico and had not the same experience that I had, mine was pleasant. I felt beautiful down there. I felt seen. I felt, I felt confident. I mm-hmm. felt alive. I felt open to all the possibilities of what could possibly be. And I was walking down the street and I got scouted uh, while I was studying abroad. And so that led to some fashion shows and it basically planted a seed of, oh, well, if I feel this way while I'm here and they find me attractive and they treat me the way that I would like to be treated, maybe there's a future here. So then I, when I, after graduating, I moved to New York, had a summer job. And then I was trying, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, am I going to go abroad to Europe because I just finished working with a bunch of people from the UK and I was like you know what I'm still in love with Mexico I'm gonna move to Mexico so I found a job on the internet which back then finding something on the internet usually meant bad news right (laughs) it was just this email being like yes we will give you a job and I was like I believe it was it on Craigslist or was it Craigslist was Was that even when Craigslist was around yeah this was before craigslist this was just on some random my dad my i was at my dad's house and he was like are you in the chat room (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not in the chat room, Dad. He's like, don't tell anybody where we live. <laughs> oh my God, I'm not telling anybody where we live. Like, and, and that so, a nice man that thinks I'm really pretty and wants to give me a job. It's, it, it's I got it all sorted out. It's fine. <laughs> Mail order bride in Guadalajara. <laughs> I, I, listen, I would have done that too. So right before I left New York, I went downstairs and I said, hey, Dad, I have some news. And he's like, okay. And I said, hey, Dad, um, I'm moving to Mexico. And he just stopped and he said, if you want to kill yourself, you don't have to go so far to do it. <laughs> Why? What did like, he? What did he think was gonna happen? What was his fear? He thought I was suicidal, and like was just playing with my life, and wanted to be like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna move to this place because I had never been to Guadalajara. And what was and the was, job? It was teaching, teaching, oh. uh, teaching at a language institute. Oh. And Guadalajara was 12 hours away from any, like, from where I studied abroad, so by bus at least. So it wasn't like. I was telling him I was buying a one-way ticket to a city that I had never been to. I didn't know anybody there. I had just gotten an email in the, in the early aughts to be like, hey, do you want to move here? And I had maybe two email exchanges before I said to this stranger on the internet, yeah, sure, I'll do this. And then I bought a one-way ticket, and then I went down there and just hoped that it was all real. That's How wild. long did you live there? I lived there... Uh, for two more years in Mexico. I mean, when he, my dad took me to the airport, bless his heart, and I cried the entire time. And my sister called me on the phone. She's like, "You got to stop crying on the phone, uh, crying in the car with dad. I know, you, I know you're losing your shit." And I was like, "I'm so scared though." And she, he, he was like, she was like, well, "What do you think? How do you think he feels? He's sending his youngest, craziest daughter right. out into the abyss, and she even the crazy daughter is crying because she's scared of what the future holds." Like you, you gotta hold it together. And he still drove me there. My dad and I, my dad can can sometimes be difficult, but he has exceed expectations for an older African gentleman who very much supports his daughter, uh, but more in the traditional sense, I should say. How did you even get to LA, though? I started out as a, a low-level production assistant for the department that I was in. There was a lot of sitting around, some stand-in work here and there. So, and I had, I had quit Zagat survey for that job and I was like, oh man, I really quit a good job. That could have been, that could have been a trajectory to eating a lot of free, wonderful meals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was I thinking? Cause I'm a big eater. And so I, you know, like, when you have a lower level position and you're just like, oh, was this, was this even worth it? Was it everything that it could have been? Right. And I got permission from my supervisor to, cause I said, you know what? can I just go around to different departments and see if they need my support? Because sitting around is not the most productive thing. And she gave me permission. So I left my other PA buddies behind and I would go around to different departments and I did help out other departments. And one of the departments that I was helping was the task department and task is what they do challenges and challenges are what I think are the creatives of a lot of these shows. Like you get to come up with, these wonderfully imaginative ideas of what a contestant can be tasked to execute um, in order to win that uh, the to win whatever prize or award for that episode and then make it on to the next uh, to the next round. And so I I ended up doing a favor for the task department. Like I think they were in a jam and they needed an audience for the finale and they had not gotten it together yet. And so I put on my best dress and I made a big old sign and I walked around Manhattan 
with a sign saying free NBA all-star game and a sign-up sheet. <laughs> and the next day, I think at least 300 people were there and they were like, Hey lady from the street. Like it was, it was like, I just, it, it was awesome. And, and the tax department was very grateful. And so they were like, what do you want in the future? And I'm like, Oh, I'd love to work with you guys in a more secure capacity. And then they ended up calling me and making me their coordinator for the next season. And then that went well. And the season after that, I was a second producer. But each of these seasons, like I had someone who was working within that department who was really championing me and believing in my efforts. And and so I think in the beginning, there was a lot of support. And I think I made rapid progress because people believed in my abilities. And were you really happy to be finding something that kind of balanced? Because you seem like someone who, although you're a performer, you also like the logistics part of it too. So at the time, did you embrace that? Yeah, I mean, I my siblings are MBAs. My dad is always talking about, he's like, you know, they called me the Phoenician trader. Like he's, he's <laughs> like, I think we have minds that are constantly looking at things that are, problem solving and figuring out how the puzzle can best work and it it almost quiets my mind I really enjoy doing it I think I'm good at telling people what to do I sometimes I think well after this career maybe I'll go into recruitment or helping people with career strategy just because I love problem solving I love problem solving it can be a little challenging just because sometimes when you want to be creative and out of your mind and open to taking and not having to think analyze something to death that can be hard to turn off because my mind can also actively try to talk me out of empowering myself to move forward because I'm calculating risk and all the different ways of how this scenario can play out but to go back to the way I got to Los Angeles is that the last season that I was doing, people, my department, the bulk of task, those people are, are usually based in Los Angeles. Um, and if you're not based in Los Angeles, because this is where they, they were doing some of the pre-production and they were hiring and then they were doing the rest of pre-production in New York. So if you weren't based in L.A., they were, you were poached in L.A. for the most part and taken out there. Um, and so I figured, you know, if I don't... I know I, I love New York. New York has been my home away from home since I was 15. My brother been, has been living here since then. But as much as I enjoy living here, I know ultimately I do want to still go into comedy and I want to be a comedy writer, maybe a performer, but definitely a comedy writer. And the easiest way to get a job is when people have you in the forefront of their minds. And so if the bulk of my department is LA based, I need to, at the end of this project, I need to give up my apartment and move out to Los Angeles so that if I need help moving forward, these are the people who I can rely upon. The work is so intense and the hours are so long and I get stressed out. Like I didn't want to go seven, eight months of working ridiculous hours and then cross the finish line into the next year on fumes. And like, it just, it's just too much. So I usually would do a certain amount of months working and then the rest of the year or in between I would take Zumba or I would take golf or I would take Chinese or I would take French. I would do things that would like feed my soul. And then eventually I stopped taking those classes because I knew what I was doing was really like what I should have been doing in with those classes. Instead of taking those classes, I should be taking comedy classes. That's the real way to get myself out of production, which was my goal. Tell us about the current project you're working on, Black Card Revoked. Black Card Revoked is a very fun game that 
has its origins in, in it being a card game that people would play at home. Glenn Bronson, who I mentioned earlier, went to a party, played this game, had a great time, went back the next day to his boss, David Horowitz, and was like, David, we have to buy the rights to this. This game is a hit because it's so much fun to play. They have their trivia questions and then there are majority rules questions. Trivia questions are like, in what year did Whitney Houston appear in The Bodyguard? And then a majority rules question will be... Do you know the oh, answer to that one? Isn't... No, I made it up off the top I'm of my head. I'm going to revoke your card. I know. I'm going to say 92. I, really? What do you say? I thought 94 or 96. No. You don't think? I would say, yeah, I would say it's like 94, around 93 or 94 probably. Let's see really quick. I think we were in middle school. You think so? All right, tell us I the have rest. no. You're right, 92. Boom. I, I have no, she's so timeless that I just have no concept. I still have my black <laughs> card. <laughs> Poor <Jeff. laughs> What does um, she win? And then the majority rules questions are, who is the uh, who's the best TV dad? And now let's say if we're playing this game at home, people have a card that says A, B, C, or D, and each letter corresponds with a name of a TV dad. So who is the best TV dad? Is it Uncle Phil? Is it is it Heathcliff Huxtable? R.I.P. Heathcliff Huxtable. Yeah, I know. Oh. Is it? Uh, well, I was gonna say Mr. Drummond, but Mr. Drummond is white. Um, but basically, <laughs> there's like, not too you, many. Isn't that sad? What's that? There's not too many. I mean, you have to get this moment. Lawrence Fishburne on Blackish, I think, would probably win. Oh, oh, sorry, Dre. Yeah, uh, Dre Johnson Dre Johnson. Blackish, who's. Uh, Anthony Anderson. So then people would then put in the card of who they thought is the best, and the majority answer wins. Now, the game show is based off of that. So the format is a little bit more nuanced than that. Like it's just a little bit a little bit different just because you the different to, to support the different acts uh, in the show. It was a lot of fun to work on, a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun to work on. Went into work laughing all the time, had a great writer's room. Yeah, so so that's Black Card Revoked. It's Still airing on BET. Hopefully we'll get another season out of it. But I encourage everybody to watch because I feel like it's very informative. Like when we were coming up with questions, I wanted to make sure that we hit the diaspora. I wanted to speak to as large section of the black experience as possible. I wanted to touch upon as much as possible just because I want people to feel included. I've been left out before. I felt left out before and I didn't want that to happen on this show. I wanted people to have a sense of pride of where they came from and I wanted them to have a good time. Like, I wanted there to be some takeaway. It's interesting to me that, you know, you're someone who got to start working in this community when you were in high school, which seems like a bit of a rarity. So how have you seen it change in that time from when you started as an intern at BET to now? Does it feel a lot different in terms of opportunities that are out there and just the the sheer volume of what's getting made? So to answer your first part of your question, I was an intern at BET when it was technically still based out of, like, DC was the hub. Okay. Um, and and now I know more about DC, uh, BET in its LA, like its LA office. So I couldn't really speak to BET corporate in DC just because I was mainly at the sound stage, which was a like a remote, very like niche different experience from, hey, you're at a network and this is what we're putting on television. Got it. But I did feel like my story came full circle in that 
the first official entertainment gig that I had was working at PET as an intern. And then the latest, most official, at least in the producing capacity, job that I've had was supervising producer of, of Black Harder Vote. So that warmed my heart for sure. In terms of do I see their change in, in content and what's being made? Yes and no. I feel like in the 90s there were so like there were a lot of black shows that were on. It felt yeah. like it, it felt like there was an, an abundance and I feel like even back then like we were hoping that things let's let's grow it, let's grow it, let's grow it, let's have more representation. And then I think it kind of diversity took a little bit of maybe a dip in the aughts. This is obviously not scientific. This is just based on my perception. Right. Um, no, that's okay. But I, I feel, I feel like recently because people were having more conversations, we're having, the world will come to an end and we'll still be having conversations about diversity and how important it is and how we need to make it an initiative. Right. Um, like it's always a conversation that's constant. It's, it's an ongoing conversation and I'm glad people are having the conversation, but I'm also like, it's ongoing because not enough progress is being made. So while I do see opportunities and you have uh, the the Violas of the world, the Avas of the world, the, the Carrie Washingtons of the world, like in terms of entertainment, the Oprahs, it's it's encouraging. It's awesome to see. I, I, listen, there isn't a day that I want to run off to Wakanda, you know? So <laughs> but it's, but there, um, but I think there's, we can always push for more, like, right. and not, I, I check a lot of marginalized boxes and so like I want to see all of these marginalized groups of people thrive I want to see groups of people who uh, groups of those marginalized people who I don't not technically have that background I want to see them thrive too like let's get more Asian representation on television let's get more Native American representation on on television Middle Eastern that has nothing to do with uh, not all Middle Easterners are Muslim and, and vice versa and let's like let's let's stop having this low-hanging fruit of drivel and giving them these bullshit roles of being less than human beings because they're terrorists like it's just it's just it's i'm i'm just kind of i'm kind of over it um but i am excited to see the changes that are taking place like seeing reboots if you're going to give me a reboot of a show that's already happened i'm glad that a show like one day at a time on Netflix is getting a, a reboot and showing the Latinx um, experience. Yeah, uh, that to me is very encouraging and satisfying to see a Wrinkle in Time. Like I bawled in that movie because wasn't it wonderful to just see this little black child be affirmed in that way and and be encouraged to believe in herself? Like what what a wonderful movie like what a wonderful message not just to little girls but but to adults who might have had that experience of doubt um and struggle and and to almost soothe that pain so that they can continue building and moving forward yeah and to everybody yeah really it's good for for everybody to see that I, i can look at any movie with any protagonist and this is, I think, a function of me not having people who look like me in every movie. I can still watch movies and extrapolate messages that can help me in my path in moving forward. So it's like, mm-hmm. if you're open to it, you can catch it. It just helps when you have multiple representations of people from all different walks so that yeah. 
you can just get that subtle message that you are seen mm-hmm. and that your your experience is valid. I have a question, Shukri. You yeah. so you've done a lot of different things. You've done producing, you've done improv, you've done performance. What would you say if there were no barriers and it wasn't about meeting people or knowing people and what is your dream job? That is a great question. And here's the thing, like, I'll tell you what my dream job is. But even when I look at my dream job, I think I could dream a lot bigger. <laughs> like, and, and that's it. like, I look at people who I think are great and I think they're hardworking and I think that they are warriors, if you will, and that they are just kicking butt and taking names. And I'm always so like, like excited about what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, look at that. They, they have this position, they have that position. And then five years later, they're doing something so much bigger than I ever could dream that they would be doing that. I'm just like, man, like I knew I was friends with a lot of phenomenal people, but I never knew they could blow out the sky like that. Like I never Can you give an they... example. Yeah. Lena Waithe. <laughs> Lena. Love her. I remember when I found out that Lena was, and by the way, I'll say like shout out to her because when I decided I really wanted to get out of production and do more performing in like 20, 2013, we met, she introduced me to people, we brainstormed, like she was very supportive, but I, and I knew she would be a writer. I, I remember when I found out that she was going to be on Master of None and I'm like, wait, did anybody know that Lena was also acting? Like, did anybody, <laughs> wait, what, what's going on here? Okay. So she's acting now. And she's, she's writing different episodes. Oh, she's, wow, okay. Would I you was, want to do I was, that? I mean, on some degree, sure, yeah. I mean, I was at a stoplight the other day, and I turn, and I see her face on a Ready Player One poster, and I'm That's like... That's got to be wild. Jeez, Lena. I was like, wow, Lena, like... Because I, I saw her a couple of weeks ago at the premiere party for Wrinkle in Time, because a dear friend, that's his movie, Tendo Nagenda. Shout out to Tendo. Black Hollywood, all of Black Hollywood's elites were there. <laughs> and I was just sitting in a corner, like trying to eat a free shish kebab. But like, it was, you know, just seeing them interact with one another. And I'm like, wow, I'm in the presence of greatness here. I'm just going to try to wrap my head around what I'm seeing and try to use this as like an empowering device. Like, okay, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But it's like, I use her as an example because never in my wildest dreams did I think. Like, I knew she would be big. I just did. I She blew out the GD sky. She blew out the sky. And the episode of Master of None that I, did, I, I had to go read about it because I was so fascinated with that episode. Um, Angela Bassett, right? As her yeah. mom. And that how she based her own coming out on that conversation. It totally blew my mind. That's one of my favorite things I've seen on TV in years. And right. I, I was I was totally floored when I saw that episode. Right, first, first uh, black woman to win a uh, comedy, uh, I mean, for a comedy, right? Like, that's what I'm just like, so when you ask me what I want to do, I look at her, yeah, yeah, that's what, sure, that'd be great. I actually wasn't even going to do that parallel, but I could. <laughs> I mean, what I was going to say that I wanted is, is like, when you look at, like, a Mindy Kaling or an Ike Barentholtz, like, what I want is, I want to be able to be in the writer's room write content, have a good time. And then when it's like, all right, Shukri, now it's time to shoot this episode. Maybe I'm a character in the episode where I get some juicy jokes. Right. And I get to go shoot it. 
maybe it's my maybe it's the episode that I wrote. I don't know. It is or it isn't. But maybe. But I'd like to be an at least an ensemble player in whatever. Like if, if it's like an office or a midi project uh, or a living single or whatever, what have you. But I'd like to. I'd like to wear multiple hats. I'd like to be in the writers' room, and then I'd also like to perform part of it. If it's gonna happen not, to anybody, it's gonna happen to you because you're amazing, I, and people yeah. are drawn to you. They follow you. It's kind of weird, but it's true. <laughs> what knowing that this is the industry that you're in, and you know, it's what's been interesting is every guest we've talked to, it is about overcoming obstacles, and it is sort of about like about being your own best cheerleader. So, what are the things that you do to keep yourself pumped up to not get deflated? What are what are your tricks? Uh, that's a great question. For are you just drunk right now? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say thank you, Portia, for saying that. You can edit this out if you like to, but that um, I won't even sit in it for too long because it'll make me cry. But I want to. <laughs> true, say, I don't say untrue things. I, I really that makes um, oh, that really um, that's really touching. It's interesting, Shukri, because you're very, very humble, and somebody who's so humble. I would think would have a hard time in this industry. And there's this weird balance between, or a fine balance between having enough humility so that people aren't annoyed with you and then having too much humility so that you're not promoting yourself. Do you find that difficult? Because you really do fall in the kind of the latter end where you have a lot of humility. You don't like to promote yourself. You're rarely on Facebook you're you're just not like a me 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 person but then you're a person who you're very authentic you're just who you are and people are drawn to that but then i don't know is there is there a pull to to try to be more self-promoting it is um it is so hard and i think because i solidly have a background in being behind the scenes and I'm the youngest of six, uh, six, three for my mom, six for my dad overall, like, and growing up, it, even though, I mean, my mom was very encouraging of me to perform, but after she passed when I was 15, it's sort of like, I don't know, things, there was just a huge shift. Culturally, it's not like, uh, I was taught to be out there, always be on, like, that's not necessarily a good thing I think I've had this bombastic personality through the years but it's shrunk a little bit because now I have a stage to perform on and so in my normal life I don't feel the need to get that performance art out <laughs> in the streets like oh, I don't makes feel sense. the need to like be like hey 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 like and and also you, people just get older and they kind of outgrow certain um I think certain traits become a little bit more subdued but I, I, I certainly believe that it's because I perform so much now that it's like, oh, I don't, I don't need to, which is, sense. which is good. Yeah. But at the same time, like, what do I do to stay pumped? Well, let me tell you, I have a wall full of post-its that's basically like, you can do it. A smile can warm things up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am thankful for, and then it like three spaces to list. I believe in myself. You are very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that beautiful you have lady? To tell yourself that, Shukri. I 
right, listen, I oh have a wall. I ha- it used to be in the bathroom. I put it up next to my bed. And not even my, like, it's at John's house, actually. <laughs> it's, on, <laughs> it's on my side of the bed at John's house. Like, about 20 post-its. I, I added five recently. That was, it's like, go to and do what you want. Um, stay positive. Like, just different things. Like, I'm trying to surround myself with positive energy because like I said before my my mind can spiral my mind can calculate the risk and all of the different ways that something can play out so there are things that I can do to like try to circumvent that um maybe I try to practice something a lot more than maybe another person would just so I will absolutely believe that I can do it because I have practiced it so much. There are so many people who blindly believe in themselves, and I'm so envious of them. Yeah. Not in a way that, like, I want to take away from what they have achieved, but in a way that, like, ooh, I just I just want that, too. I have a book that I'm reading. It's like, you're, you're a badass. Like, oh, yeah. That's a good one. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to surround myself with enough positive reinforcement and encouragement because I know it can't come from outside people. I know it has to come from within myself. And sometimes the bummer is that I can feel that people believe in me more than what I feel like I believe in in myself. And that's, and I believe in myself a significant amount. And that's how much I know I'm being supported by the people around me because I, I feel it. I feel their energy. I know they absolutely absolutely support me and believe in me it's just I need it I need it a little bit more from myself and part of this like I was so fearless when I was a lot younger and some of it is just trying to get some of that I remember I I, one-way ticket to Mexico I never don't know anybody nothing so like sometimes I just want that person back like as flawed as she was, sometimes I want her back. My mind is always constantly going. One of the posts it says, "Be present." I'm trying my hardest to be present. How can I be present if I'm tethered to a device, constantly thinking about what I'm gonna say in X amount of characters on Twitter, what I'm gonna post on right. Facebook? and what best life I'm going to portray in a picture with what filter on Instagram. Like, how am I supposed to, I just don't, I I don't, and and you see these studies of people, like people are depressed because it's hard to not compare yourself to people's nicely curated view of how they want people to think that they're living. It's true. It's so easy to get caught up and it's so easy to get jealous. I think in order to make it an entertainment, you have to have talent, you have to have patience, you have to have connections, people need to know who you are too, and you have to have strength of mind. And it's like, because there are gonna be wonderful moments and there are gonna be not so wonderful moments. There is There are so many ebbs and flows in this industry. Like, I even told John, I said, you know, I'm, John's my significant other. I said, John, I'm going to, um, even if I get on a show and we have a six year run and it's wonderful, and we make it to the hundred episodes. Yeah, we can get those, you know, the the royalty, the the, the checks, the residuals, etc. But as a performer, I'm probably going to want to keep going. But there might be 
a handful of time where people aren't checking for me. Right. And then it's going to feel like I'm back at stage one. And so I'm like, if you're signing on to be with me, you're signing on with that knowledge of even when I find success, I will be present and enjoy it. That's why being present, I think, is so important. I will be present and enjoy it because it might not last. And we see how hard it is for people to stay relevant. Like there's you got ageism, racism, sexism. You got all the isms chilling, chilling and thriving in Hollywood. And as a person who could definitely be on the receiving end of that, you just got to know that sometimes they're going to, they're just going to be some better moments and some harder moments of me not easily finding work, the type of work that I'd really like to be doing. Part of the reason why I was so afraid to be on stage was I was afraid of failing. And so, and people, when I was growing up, they were like, Shukri, are you afraid of failure or afraid of success? Maybe that's why you're not doing it. And I think maybe it's a little bit of both, but it's like, but I think solidly for a long time, it was a fear of failure. And I think once I got on some of these house teams at these different comedy schools, and it was like, oh, you're going to fail, Shukri. And sometimes you're going to feel big, but it's going to be fine. Like, guess what? You lived, you continued breathing. Nobody came up to you and laughed in your face. You, you survived. And then for the next time, how are you going to do things differently? Okay. So Shukri, if there was one thing in your life that you could change, what would it be? There was one thing in my life that I could change is that I would change my ability to believe in myself. I would have confidence just oozing out of every orifice of my being and just not need to hear anybody else say anything to me in, in, in way, in, in ways of support, because I would just know it. Like I, I would become the narcissist adjacent that I think is narcissism. But it really is, it narcissist really is. adjacent. I love that. Okay. That's my new, <laughs> that's my new favorite phrase. It's, like, it's not even narcissist. It's not even narcissist adjacent. It's just a person who unabashedly, unapologetically believes in themselves. What is your biggest source of stress that is most time consuming for you takes up most of your life? biggest source of stress for me, I would say is, um, oh God, I love my significant other, John. I love him so much. It's hard sometimes to try to make time for him and have a normal life when either I'm running off to, to produce TV, which takes all hours of the day, or I'm going off to a rehearsal, a table read, a practice. And since it's seven days a week, it's hard to plan. It's hard to give him time. I would also say that what's challenging for me is when I'm on a show, reining myself in yeah it's because it's a lot of times it feels like they they own you because they're paying you something they want a great end product and it's just hard who were your female role models growing up my female role models growing up i would say i mean my mom was fantastic she juggled in ways that i can't even imagine by 30 she had three kids supported my dad like she she was a working woman worked at IDB, worked in archives, was was very career-driven, would go abroad and do different things to further her own career, but then also was super supportive of her kids and nurturing. I mean, she was, sorry, I mean, this is going to sound trite, but she was a rock star. So it was nice to have that growing up and seeing all that she could do. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that my sister also, even though we're close in age, we're only three years apart, academically at least, uh, three years apart, taking on like maternal roles the the maternal role once my mom passed and only being a couple of years older when she should have been dealing with her own stuff like that's incredible I, I would be absolutely lost without her she's amazing 
Thank you so much, Shukri. Shukri. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. You guys, I really appreciate you doing this podcast. Like, I think it's so great to have a blueprint to know what other people have done. I love that. People should go watch Black Card Revoked on BET. They can Google you. They can Google John. They can get more background <laughs> they can information read about you on our website, <laughs> womeninadaypodcast.com. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And they can always send me a message on Facebook. I'll check my other box if you want to book me on a gig. You can always find me at UCB um, performing with the Audacity. We are the fourth Wednesday of every month. Um, and that's a sketch team. And I also perform with, as you said earlier in my bio, The Pickup, which is a wonderful musical improv team. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Shukri. This has been Women in a Day. We just want to say a huge thank you to our guests today, Shukri Abdi and Tony Tarbox, our editor, and Hilary Blair, who does our intro. I'm Jenny Helzer. And I'm Portia Hensley. Thank you. 